Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, still recovering from a uh, little medical adventure, but well enough to sit in front of the microphone and entertain you for, uh, well, half, half an hour, maybe a little bit more. Lots of things to talk about, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons and uh, thanks to their monthly support. I can bring you these shows, these podcasts, and also my YouTube shows without advertisements. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and it's so annoying to every time I have to skip forward, sometimes four or five minutes in some of the tech shows. They just keep going on and on and on. It's the same for YouTube. There's so many YouTube YouTubers that nowadays just have these plugs for uh services for for stuff you have to have to buy sometimes it just take four or five minutes because it's, it's like a, a taped endorsement and uh it, it is annoying and i'm so glad i don't have to do advertisements if you want to support uh, me and and to keep this advertisement free consider joining the patrons over at patreon.com father roderick they get an extra podcast every week just for uh, as a thank you for their support you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So as I mentioned in the intro, I'm still recovering a little bit from my, uh, uh, my generalized infection as a result of a kidney stone. Um, I had to go back to the doctor, uh, to, the, to the hospital even, uh, last week uh, because they were not really uh, reassured. They still thought that I uh, had too much pain. So they, uh, I had a, a good conversation with one of the uh, doctors there and uh, basically he told me, this is going to take a bit longer than we initially thought. Uh, so after you've finished the um, antibiotics, your body will still probably need a couple of weeks to uh, to completely recover. Until then, no running, no walking for uh, longer periods. Uh, try to rest as much as possible. And oh, I would prefer prefer to take 10 pills a day rather than hearing that I have to take it easy and, and do things slowly and not do too much because it's just in my nature. I This past weekend, I overdid it and I had to pay the price already on Sunday. I kind of regretted that I did so much the day before. Uh, I was um, going to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, my, my sister came to visit with her family, so I wanted to uh, clean the house, and uh, also I had, had procrastinated on a couple of things. Notably, I wanted to move the PC that I use for um, streaming, mostly for also for when I'm streaming uh, uh, video games. I wanted to move that to the room next to the Lego room. And so I did that on Saturday evening, and that is, of course, the worst thing you can do, like hard physical exercise when your body can't take it so on sunday it was really painful uh, mass was long and i had to stand and uh, the rest of the day i was just wiped out i'm still a little bit uh, shaky from that so i'm gonna do my best to to stay as calm as possible <laughs> this upcoming week only do the strict necessary stuff uh, I talked a little bit about that in the walk uh, that you can also listen to on tridio.com. Um, 
it, it, it requires me to think about my priorities. What is truly necessary and what are things that I just have to let go or postpone or not everything that's on my to-do list needs to be done right away. And so... Um, it's it's uh, it's harder than I thought to follow up on what my doctor told me to do, but I'm doing my best. I'm also watching a lot of Netflix and a lot of Disney Plus, telling myself, "Hey, this is part of the therapy, right? I need to take it easy, not move." So I did watch, fortunately, also for you, a couple of uh, series and movies. Because otherwise, I would have nothing to talk about here on uh, on the show during my segment about movies and TV shows. So there is some really great stuff at the horizon that I want to talk about. All has to do with Star Trek. <laughs> Not like movies. They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. If there's one reason for me to keep my Netflix subscription, even though we already have Disney Plus, and it is really, really, really cool. I can't tell you how much I enjoy Disney Plus and the, the overall quality of the experience. I find the user interface much easier to use than, uh, than Netflix. There are some minor gripes that I have, especially if you want to, turn on the subtitles that, that is kind of counterintuitive how you how you have to switch those on i'm sure that they will iron out all those little problems based on some feedback although it's funny they do a test in the netherlands you you'd think they'd be interested in our feedback but no i guess this is just a hardware kind of the kind of a technical test but they don't really need the input from the dutch about uh, their user interface or or even uh, about uh, the 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 contents of what they're offering uh, notably i had a discussion the other day or a talk uh, um, totally out of the blue with um, the main actor of the ewok movies uh, you may remember that after return of the jedi came out uh, return of jedi of course introduced the Ewoks, a highly merchandisable uh, um, creature for, for Lucasfilm. And then based on the success of, of Return of the Jedi, they uh, created two movies that actually in the United States went straight to tape, I think, straight to VHS, never... Um, were never uh, aired in, in... or never published uh, in, in, in movie theaters. However, in the Netherlands, in parts of Europe... Those movies were actually in... Uh, also, you could watch them in theaters. And I'm pretty sure that I watched at least the first Ewok movie um, somewhere around my birthday. I asked my brother, who has a, like a tremendous uh, memory for stuff like this. Um, and he said, well, yeah, I can vaguely remember that you went to see it either on your birthday or you went to see it with a friend of yours. I'd, I'd have fond memories of that first Ewok movie. Well, it turns out the main actor uh, contacted me because he'd seen my little uh, video about um, uh, the trial that's going on in, in, uh, in the Netherlands from Disney Plus and asking me if it was correct that the Ewok movies were not on the service. And I checked, double-checked, and indeed, no Ewok movies. And then we, we, we kind of discussed a little bit. There was some other stuff missing. Um, and it's almost as if 
as if Lucasfilm slash Disney is trying to forget about those Ewok movies. So I, I encouraged him to, uh, to keep on. He's, he's doing, uh, 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 what you call that? Um, where you gather signatures. Um, ah, my brain on Monday morning is like a fog. Um, a petition. He's an, an, he launched an online petition. I'll link to it in the show notes, where you can sign uh, uh, that you can sign it, and 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 it's a plea to Disney to bring those Ewok movies to Disney Plus. There apparently is also an Ewok animated series that I really wasn't aware of. That one is also missing. Basically, what, what when we were talking. Um, I, I, I actually, I, I, I told him, well, why don't you just contact Warwick Davis, who is um, still in, you know, uh, constantly working with Lucasfilm. He is uh, also in those movies, of course, as Wicked. And I have a, I have a theory, and maybe completely wrong. But if I were Disney, I would bring back Wicked to Episode Nine, and here's how we know from the trailer. So this is. Not really a spoiler. We know that uh, at one point they have to go back to Endor because we see this, this image of the of the, of the the second Death Star in this, you know submerged in the in the in the waters of of of, uh, of the seas. So that has to be on Endor. If they go back to Endor, then of course why why wouldn't you bring back the most iconic Ewok? And also the breakthrough role for Warwick Davis, who is still very much one of the ambassadors of the Disney brand and of, of the Star Wars brand. Um, and, and reintroduce a new generation to these highly marketable, fluffy Ewoks. And this time you could do them you know, even better than in Return of the Jedi. Plus, that would open an entire opportunity to to uh, re-promote all the Ewok, the existing Ewok stuff. So I have just this idea, since we, we see Lando, why not bring back Wicked? I'm going to be very disappointed if they don't, because after all, they're on Endor. You know, if, if I go and visit Boxtel, I go see my mom, you know, it's, it's, it's an old friend. Um, and the actor is still available, and, and, and of course they can use that to let him go to all these conventions and promote Star Wars. There's just so many such an obvious thing to do. Anyway, I haven't heard of it, so this may be one of the surprises of Episode 9, or they haven't thought, it, thought of it. We'll never see the Ewoks again. Anyway, so I, I, I hope that, that, that Warwick Davis wants to also kind of push this online petition so that um, uh, Disney listens and put, puts this on, on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I'm... My... Th- my idea is that either Disney wants to forget about those maybe not so successful uh, movies, but it's still part of Star Wars history. It's like it's like the uh, the Christmas special, you know. Nobody, it's it's like Voldemort. You don't speak that name, <laughs> but it is still part of 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 the history that led to Star Wars the way it is nowadays. The Mandalorian. The entire series would not have existed if it weren't for the holiday special. Because it was during that Christmas holiday special that we saw an animated short that introduced the character of Boba Fett in his iconic uh, uh, mask and everything. And that costume, later on, 
developed into a whole backstory about these Mandalorian warriors, which now is the the basis for uh, for the Mandalorian TV series. So I'm thinking you just restore that thing. It, it's awful. It's really awful, but it's still part of Star Wars history. And we want to see it. And the same is true for those Ewok movies. They were not the best, but they were, I remember them as being entertaining enough and they were geared at kids. Um, I want to I rewatch those. Apparently, they're, they're currently on Amazon Prime in the United States, I think. So maybe there is some other stuff missing also. Um, some Disney material that you can still watch on on Netflix in certain countries, although most of the Netflix stuff is gone now, and uh, and on Amazon Prime. So maybe there is just an exclusive contract that Disney has to wait for before they can bring that back to the to the barn in a certain way. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, then, last week, we saw two new trailers for Star Trek. One was another trailer for Star Trek Picard, this time reintroducing us to Riker, which was absolutely fantastic. I love the way they do that. So basically, Picard goes and visits visits his old friend Riker, um, and, uh, uh, who is now an old man. And in reality, also these actors have really aged. And then we get some context about why Data is also in uh, in Star Trek Picard. And you see at one point what looks to me like a dream sequence. Or actually, it is a dream sequence. You can you can tell from the trailer because Picard wakes up. And what was really blowing me away is you see both Picard and, uh, and Data in their old uniforms, their classic TNG uniforms. And it is uncanny how much that uniform all of a sudden transforms uh, um, uh, Picard into Picard. It's it's really, really cool. I love that trailer. It's very different in tone from Discovery because we also saw the new trailer, the first trailer for the third season of Star Trek Discovery. In case you haven't watched that series yet, um, definitely go watch it if you can because it's, it's really awesome Star Trek. It's very different from anything that Star Trek has done before, but it's really good. It holds up. It's, it's a good, good actors, uh, solid scripts, amazing special effects. But in this third season, um, so the, the first two seasons took part um, in a time frame before the, um, the original Star Trek series. And so it's after Star Trek Enterprise, I think but before the original series. Um, and so in the third season, they're propelled forward in time, and now they're like, I don't know, seven centuries past the last thing that we saw, I guess, in The Next Generation, or Voyager, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is probably the most uh, far ahead that we, we've gotten into the canon timeline. Um, but now Discovery is going to bring us way into the future and the trailer looks amazing and very cool you see the same characters that you know and love but this time they have to fix the future and you see some glimpses that that something hints at that the the uh federation of uh, planets is now different and smaller um and so maybe there's a lot of fallout of course science fiction if it's good science fiction it reflects our our current political reality as well so maybe there's fragmentation also in the um, in the galaxy and uh the, the, the discovery 
um, this 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 crew from the past with all their ideals also this this, this is much more from the let's say the original Roddenberry uh, I, I, idealism maybe they bring that to the future which would I think be a very cool storytelling device to reflect what we all hope for in our society as well um, our countries are so polarized now there's so much opposition everything falls apart uh, that's how it feels. We, we, we can't even trust the uh, presidents or anything because they're constantly spinning things. Just, everything is spin. What is what is the truth? It's all muddy and, and people are only fighting wars online. The things that we thought would bring the universe together, like the internet, right? In the early years of the internet, I was so enthusiastic, so positive. Like, well, this is going to bridge so many gaps and 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 it's going to bring people from all over the world into one big family it's going to cultures are going to be able to exchange and we can learn from each other and look where we are now the internet is is basically a place where with open warfare it's like a civil war in the digital realm and of course there's also a lot of things to appreciate on the internet and a lot of good people there but it's not absolutely not the the ideal utopic future that I kind of expected when the thing was brand new. Well, in a way, Star Trek is is, is struggling with the same reality. It, it, it was invented in the early 70s, of course. Gene Roddenberry had this very utopian view of the future. There would be no more money uh, because there's no more money, no more wars. Uh, there were actually specific rules uh, for, the, for the, the riders that on the in the among the crew of uh, the Enterprise and then later on the the, uh, the new Enterprise etc, there couldn't be conflict between the members of the crew. So no no uh, conflicts between let's say Picard and and Riker or Data and Troy and and uh, the only character who sometimes kind of got a little bit riled up was uh, was Worf. But then he was a Klingon, so you could explain that. It's just his character. And, uh, and the, the, the writers of the series have, so, have, have struggled so much because, of course, storytelling is all about conflict and, and the resolution of conflict. Uh, but if you can't have conflict to begin with, what kind of stories are you going to tell? So, uh, but, but it all stemmed from this utopian view of Gene Roddenberry of a future where he basically he wanted Star Trek to be an example, something to look forward to. Uh, it's this you see the same thing in the way Disney portrayed the future in um, in their theme parks, where it was kind of the Jetsons, right? We have flying cars and everybody's kind, and no more world wars and 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 the technological uh, innovations are going to make everybody happy. There will be food and technology for all to enjoy. Well, the reality, of course, is that the world has changed and you can't get away anymore with stories where everybody is, you know, happy and there's no more conflict. And star you see that Star Trek has evolved and has changed already in Deep Space Nine. I'm currently watching, uh, I'm binge watching Deep Space Nine and, oh, I'm so enjoying it. There's still some flawed episodes and it's, it's kind of a, a low-budget show and it shows... But there is also so much to enjoy. There's some really, really good stories. 
and you can tell that Deep Space Nine is already evolving towards more danger. There is this this the dominion that is threatening the the, the stability of of the entire you know interstellar society. Um, and and in Discovery, they completely broke the rules. There is a lot of strife. There's a lot of conflict on the bridge between people. You've got like the evil versions of certain characters that then become part of the of the of the of the rest of the crew. There is a lot of conflict, and I think what they now do with Discovery is super interesting because they're also breaking this idea that the future is always better than the than than the present. And I would dare to say that the current present that we live in is in many ways worse than the time that I grew up. Where we, I grew up in the 80s and there was this, this optimism. And, but now we live in a world where, you know, uh, our societies are more and more unstable. There is this ongoing threat of manipulation, uh, of, of con uh, government control over, you know, our freedom and our, our liberties. Um, there is uh, a, a tremendous religious fallout with, of course, uh, huge consequences for morality in general and how people behave because religion uh, often has guided people to make the, the right choices. Well, if that falls away, you know, what is going to, going to be our moral beacon? So in many ways, the what was the future when I grew up is not the utopian future that I thought it would be. And instead... Uh, and, and Discovery does, does kind of the same thing. They, they bring us to that future and they show us that, I think they're going to show us that the future is actually in dire need of fixing. And the crew of Discovery is going to do that, thereby, I think, appealing to our idealism. Uh, the, the, the worse the situation gets, you see this all over the world, the more I hear from people, why can't we go back to civility to being kind to each other, to to build a better future. Look at the entire movement uh, 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 that you see now uh, among teenagers that are, go are going on these these strikes for the environment. You see this this desire, and it's very idealistic of of this new younger generation to fix the world, to to really stop what we're doing now because we're destroying everything, and and, and making a better future, being very much aware that n the future depends on what we do now. And I, my hope is always that there is this pendulum movement. So right now we're on one side, uh, but gravity will pull us back to the center. Maybe we'll go to the other side as well, just like you had many times in, in, in history when, when uh, uh, certain tendencies are then overcompensated on the other side. But there are signs, I think, that that um, people always it's and it's because we have a conscience. We want to make the world better. We are, I think, in the deepest parts of our heart, we're meant to love each other and to build up the world instead instead of only you know destroying everything out of selfishness. Um, and, and of course, there are many exceptions to the rule. But I think, in general, mankind will always try to. To fix to make things better again, and and the worse the situation is, the more motivation there is to uh, to to rebuild. Uh, the same is happening right now in the church. I see that a lot. Uh, for for a long time, everybody was just like, oh, 
every the church is disappearing and it's over and we have to close our churches and now all of a sudden for a couple of years now we've seen this kind of renewal in the parishes there are a couple of books you've got uh rebuild for instance and divine renovation um that are hugely popular those books have been translated in so many languages even in the netherlands there are now a, a, a pretty big number of parishes that are tr- really trying to completely rethink the way they do things and refocusing on faith and helping people to become disciples of jesus and and realizing that if we just go on the way we've been doing things for decades then it's going to fall apart because it, it is that's what's happening right now. So we have to regroup. We have to rethink and and go back to the sources of, of, of who we are and what we're supposed to do in order to, um, to, to make a better future. So maybe I'll talk a little bit more about that during the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here on The Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their strange religious habits from time to time. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So, speaking about changes and the need to constantly reform, that's kind of what's happening right now in the heart of the church in the Vatican. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. This past Sunday, Pope Francis created 13 new cardinals, uh, most of which are coming from uh, parts of the world that didn't were not represented that, that well in the College of Cardinals. Cardinals are bishops, usually. Well, they have to be bishops, according to canon law. So there was one, one of the cardinals that was created yesterday was ordained a bishop the day before. It's like, we need to first, first uh, fix that. We need to level you up before we <laughs> can create a cardinal. So, um, and you see that, that Pope Francis is really attentive to restoring a certain balance among the cardinals. Cardinals, the College of Cardinals, um, are used to be the archpriests of Rome. So the people that would work with uh, with the Pope to manage the parishes of, of Rome. And then later on, over time, the cardinals became more and more important uh, um, and, and, and were chosen from, from countries from all over the world. And it's the College of Cardinals, right from the beginning, that, uh, that chose the new Pope, um, and usually it's one of the cardinals. Now, uh, in, in, in the past, uh, there was a, a, a very um, huge dominance of European bishops. Uh, if you look at a country like Italy, has hundreds of dioceses. It's incredible. It's not a very big country, but uh, traditionally had so many uh, cities where the archbishop of that city automatically became a cardinal. Well, Pope Francis has broken with that tradition and made sure that we have way more cardinals from Africa, from Asia, from South America, um, which, of course, irks uh, kind of more some of the established, more established parts of the church. It's like, oh, all of a sudden we we don't have a cardinal anymore. But I think in general, this this is just reflecting the reality of the Catholic Church. It's growing the most in Africa and Asia, why not reflect that in the composition of the College of Cardinals? 
So it means it's now about 50-50. About half of the cardinals uh, have been uh, created by Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict. um, And then the other half has been created by Pope Francis. Also, of course, heightens the chances that the next pope will also not be an Italian or maybe not even a European cardinal. We may have an Asian uh, Asian pope or uh, an African pope. That's bound to happen. One of these centuries, you never know. However, there is now going after that creation of these 13 cardinals. Um, the Pope also inaugurated the start of a very important meeting in the Vatican. It's a synod about a specific region that is part of the Catholic world, and that is the Amazon region. Um, the Amazon region is uh, a Christian region where there are many Catholics, but also a region with many challenges. Poverty, it's a huge challenge. Uh, the ongoing fires of the Amazon forests out of out of economic gain, you know, that's, that's kind of what's behind it. They're burning down the forests to create uh, uh, cheap, um, uh, cheap, cheap soil for, uh, you know, grain or uh, uh, corn or whatever, um, or to, uh, for, for cattle. Uh, I think cattle is the biggest problem right now because there is so much meat consumption that is international. So uh, a lot of the cattle that is raised in uh, in the Amazon goes to China, which is kind of doesn't make sense. Uh, so uh, it's all interlinked, and that's one of the things that uh, Pope Francis has tried to explain in uh, Laudato Si, is encyclical, where he shows that that the environment is not just the environment. It is also... Uh, linked to all other parts of our society and our culture, and if we if we uh, neglect the environment, people are going to pay the price for that. And the same thing if you if you don't fix hunger and poverty, then people may turn to um, to natural resources and 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 destroy them just out of sheer poverty, which is which is happening a lot. So. Um, the Amazon Synod wants to talk about the, let's say the 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 entirety of the problems, uh, uh, and 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 to look at what Catholics can do to better the situation and to help. One of the problems is that these Catholics that live there have almost no uh, resources. It's a very poor church, but it's also a church that's very poor in ministers. And so one of the hotly debated topics, let's say in the preparations before that synod, was, of course, how can we get more priests? One solution, of course, is to import priests from other countries. But that is more and more difficult. We notice it, too, here in the Netherlands, where for a while we've had a lot of priests from uh, from other countries that, you know, like South America, African priests, Polish priests, other parts of Europe, that came here to run parishes. Not always a success, I have to say, uh, but of course, very generous from these uh, these young men to to uh, to become missionaries in in the countries that used to send missionaries to their home countries. But it's not a solution because uh, because of the immigration laws, it's more and more difficult to to get permission to work here and to uh, to settle here in the Netherlands. We've had a problem in our own diocese with a community of Brazilian missionaries that came here and. They were sent back 
because of these strict immigration laws. So th- that, that is a problem. Also, um, the number of vocations is starting to dwindle also in countries like Poland, where, where the Catholic Church, I think, is in a big crisis. Um, or maybe on the verge of a huge crisis, which means that also there the number of vocations is tr- is is shrinking. So it's and 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 that is true also for the Amazon. You can't just say, well, we'll just send priests from all over the world to the Amazon to cater to these Catholics there, usually live in very remo- remote places, um, because those priests are not available anymore and they're needed elsewhere. So that's why in in the preparatory documents the people that the team that was uh kind of thinking about talking points one of the things that they raised was well we may need to to rethink the um uh the the criteria for admission to the priesthood the priesthood in in uh the western world is mostly based on uh or is is uh, the, the priests are chosen from celibate uh, man and uh, celibacy itself was something that is not, has not always been part of the priesthood. In fact, Jesus chose his most apo- uh, most important apostles among married men. Peter, Saint Peter, was married. Uh, there were several other apostles that were married and maybe had families as well. Not all of them. Saint Paul, for instance, was not. Um, so there's al- there's always been in these early centuries uh, a reality in the church where priests were both. Uh, sometimes living celibate lives, sometimes had a family, but in the Middle Ages, uh, the it was the the, the it was this was a request that came from the people themselves. They wanted priests to be celibate. Bishops have almost always been chosen uh, from celibate uh, from celibate priests, uh, but they they really wanted to have celibacy as a general uh, requirement for the priesthood. And that had to do with a number of things. Uh, uh, for instance, families were sometimes made it d- more difficult for a priest to be available. There were also priests that were having illegitimate children, and or there were all sorts of problems with their marriages. And so th- there were a whole number of reasons that at one point the universal church came to the conclusion we need to make celibacy not optional but compulsory for the priesthood. But that was a decision uh, that stemmed from a certain situation back then. And I will be the first one to say how much I value celibacy as a state uh, that you can live in and it can be a very fulfilling life. And so I, I, I think this will always remain. However, I can also understand that in, in, in situations like the Amazon, the church may reflect upon other criteria. One of which is is an old uh, um, concept, which is called viri probati. Uh, viri probati are uh, literally tested men, men that have proven themselves. Probare, uh, it's to prove, to test. Um, and so this is an idea that actually exists in, in certain other uh, parts of the of the church, where priests are chosen from. Uh, somewhat older men who, for instance, have already children, have raised a family, the children are now uh, uh, on their own. Um, And these older men with a lot of life experience, after, of course, appropriate theological formation, um, can be ordained and can work as priests. That is kind of what the, the Synod wants to think about. Now, 
as you can imagine, this is quite. This would be a, a, a huge change for the church, and many people are not really in favor of that because they're afraid that if you open the priesthood up for married men as well, no one will choose celibacy anymore. Personally, I'm not convinced. I think that the living a celibate life is a vocation, is a distinct for uh, vocation from the priesthood. In fact, if someone says, I want to become a priest, but I'm not that certain about celibacy, I would say, don't become a priest. <laughs> because it is really important that you that, that you, you uh, experience celibacy not as, as a, something that restrains you or limits you, but as your your vocation that's what god calls you to live otherwise you can't you can't be a happy priest um so i think i'm not that worried and i can also um i can also imagine that um uh, the, the 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 option of viri probati would be a solution in some parts of the world where the sacramentality of the church is endangered which is also happening right here in my own country. We have so few priests. I see it in my own parish. I have two parishes, 15 churches, three priests. Right now, but it's very obvious that in, in, in a while we'll only have two or one priest for 15 churches. So that means that most Catholics will not be able to celebrate the Eucharist or the sacraments on a regular basis. That is taking... That is basically unplugging the church. We need the sacraments. We need the Eucharist. It is our, it's our, it's our oxygen. And so when that happens and there are no other solutions, then maybe it is time to rethink the criteria of admission to the priesthood. I'm not sure if that will solve anything. Um, I think the whole question is very complex, and are very there are many different reasons why priests don't, why we don't get enough vocations. Um, but I'm, I'm all for just let's think about this let's pray let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in this and if he does then why worry why? The Pope Francis by the way is not a fan of of, um, of optional celibacy he, he said uh, you know I, I'm very much in favor of keeping celibacy as one of the uh, requirements for, for the priesthood but then again he's open enough to say well but I'm just a pope. <laughs> we need to think this, just like the institution of celibacy, of compulsory celibacy, was a decision of the universal church after long deliberations and lots of prayers, changes to that rule should also be something that we make, a decision that we should make as a universal church. So I wouldn't worry too much about it, uh, but it's interesting to see that 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 things are changing and that we, are, we need to think creatively about... Uh, about the future of the church, just like on the parish level, we we also we kind of we need to change what we do because what we're doing obviously is not working anymore for the young for a younger generation, and the solutions may be multiple. I know there are lots of people that say, well, if only we go back to Latin Mass and the old rite, and and go back to the way the church was a hundred years ago then yeah, that will bring back the young people. I personally doubt that. Maybe good for some parts of the younger generation, but it's not it's not a an easy solution to all the problems. It never is. Nostalgia is good and and but it can also be a trap to to not really innovate. But I would say, well, let's we're not alone in this. We're not the captain of the ship. God is. So don't always ask him. 
When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I am reading a very cool science fiction book written by John Scalzi. Uh, I really enjoy his books. He, he wrote a book about Red Church, which is uh, funny, really funny. It's about uh, the characters in the TV show, in a science fiction TV show, very much like Star Trek, um, and about their lives in between the episodes. They, they don't realize that they're actually in a TV show. They think it's real. For them, it's real. It's, it's very, very creative writing. Well, before he wrote, uh, wrote uh, Red Shirts, he wrote Old Man's War. And I'm listening to it thanks to um, Alexa. I was reading that to me. Hopefully, I didn't uh, activate your, uh, your personal uh, uh, electronic assistant. <laughs> By the way, I've noticed that uh, the uh, uh, Alexa device, how do you call them, the Echo, is so much more sensitive uh, and it's triggered so often when I'm not even saying the trigger word. So uh, compared to the Google Assistant, anyway. But what what the what the uh, um, the Amazon digital assistant does really well is to read books. So I'm I'm listening to uh, the voice. There's only one voice right now. Hopefully that will also change. Um, the, the, and the, and uh, so my personal assistant is reading um, Old Man's War, and it's a, it's a great story. Wow, I love it. It's about this old guy. He's seventy five years old. Well, that's not very old, but it's still old enough. Um, and ten years ago, he gave his DNA pro profile to the government um, because they have technology now to um, to bring old people back into, you know, as soldiers. And uh, 10 years later, his wife has just died. Um, he, he enlists for the army at 75 years old. So what they do is, after a whole number of tests, they take his DNA, his brain, his consciousness, and put them in a, in a new body, a younger body, which is a, an enhanced body. So it's much stronger, etc., etc. So you've got this old man living in a young body. It's a little bit like what Avatar, what Cameron did with Avatar, you know, where, where the soldier is actually remote controlling this, this, uh, this blue Navi. This is kind of similar. Uh, but then you get, of course, this, this, this very cool dynamic of, of, of you've got real young soldiers and then you've got these old people that are actually kind of reincarnated in, in, in younger bodies, but we, they have their old man attitude. So it's a, it's a great concept. It's the first book of a whole series, so I'm not sure if I'll read all the other books, but uh, but this one was on sale on the Amazon Kindle store. So, and I'm, I'm, so far, I'm enjoying it. Scalzi has a very easy way of writing. It's a, bit, a little bit like uh, Crichton, you know. You just keep reading. It's a page turner. It's not. It's nothing too challenging, but it's just a cool concept. It's a very creative idea and uh, an enjoyable science fiction story. So uh, I can recommend that. Since we're already on we the topic of science are on fiction, the cutting edge of tech. Oh, that's technology. I need to have this jingle. Let's talk a little bit more about sci-fi because there is some Star Wars news. Nothing spoilerish, of course, but uh, I just want to talk a little bit more about uh, George Lucas and the current trilogy of movies. And, uh, of course, last week I mentioned that Kevin Feige is also going to produce uh, a movie. And there may be some interesting rumors about what that has to do with George Lucas. Hmm. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? 
Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! So I don't know. I forgot if I mentioned that already on the last show, but George Lucas um, uh, was not very happy with The Force Awakens. Um, actually, he was so disappointed that he didn't want to come to the premiere. And they convinced him to still show up. And then he said very safe things. Uh, interesting. I think the fans are going to like it. But actually, in reality, he didn't like it at all. Um, and part of the reason was that he had wrote uh, three outlines. There has been some, like twice in, in, in the lead up to the, uh, the, the final takeover by Disney for, uh, of Lucasfilm, twice the party split up. The first time, I think it was Disney that walked away. The second time, it was George Lucas that walked away. And the main source of contention was that George Lucas wanted to control the future of his stories. He wanted to be able to green light or not what Disney would do with the franchise. Kind of fits his character. He's a very much a micromanager. I think it's one of the reasons that the, the, the prequels were not that good because George Lucas had free reign over the story and over the actors and... He's, not, he's just not the best director. Uh, and and, and he's, he's a genius when it comes to ideas. The execution is, is often a bit lackluster and the success of, of, of uh, a number of the Star Wars movies is not, not thanks to George Lucas, but it's despite George Lucas. So he wanted to have creative control over the future of the brand, which were, for Disney was unacceptable. They knew that if George Lucas would constantly be looking over their shoulder, they couldn't they couldn't be free. Plus, how much can you manage? Uh, George Lucas is not the youngest uh, man anymore, so they would uh, they would really be in a in a situation maybe comparable to uh, what's happening in, in in with the Tolkien estate, where you know people are just eager to expand upon the 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 world and the world building that Tolkien did. But there's this Tolkien estate that constantly has to greenlight everything, wants money for every single thing they change. Um, and and it's, so it makes it much harder to make this uh, commercial uh, endeavor that uh, that works, and so uh, that is why uh, two twice twice the the parties split up, and then finally Disney was able to convince George Lucas to come on to well to hand over Lucasfilm for the four billion dollars. Because they said, well, we'll just buy your your outlines for the for the sequel movies. And George Lucas thought, hey, they're finally this this story that I've always wanted to tell is going to be made. And I of course I would have loved to make it myself, but at least they've bought my my treatments. And then they just dumped the treatments in the garbage can. JJ um, Abrams looked at it uh, with Kathleen Kennedy and they both came to the conclusion that, that we can't do this. This is not gonna. This is not gonna work for the fans, and and I think they're right. They were probably very right because it would be kind of like this Ant Man like story where you would go into this microbiotic world. I think I've already explained this. But anyway, the wills being these creatures, my, microscopically small creatures that would uh, dictate the universe. It's just a, such an outlandish story, and and also visually, what, how are you gonna do this? This hasn't. This is so different from what Star Wars has done before. Kind of like the prequels were also very off-putting for a lot of the original Star Wars fans because it was so political. And and oof. I'm now watching The Clone Wars, and I'm in the second season now. 
Um, and it's also ah, sometimes really dragging the series down. It's this this effort to ke- to to bring to keep it very political, just like like I think the weakest part of the of the prequels. And the sh- series shines the moment they focus more on Ahsoka and Anakin and and the relationships and the challenges. Really, don't matter, and I certainly don't couldn't care less about trading routes, which is like every time it's these nemoidians that, oh, we have nothing to report. And uh, and it's, ugh, come on, let's forget about the politics. Just give us a good Star Wars story. So it's getting there, but you can tell there is a lot of influence of George Lucas in the first seasons of the, of the Clone Wars. So, you know, it's not guaranteed that if George Lucas has an idea that that's automatically an idea that we as Star Wars fans would appreciate. So Lucas was very disappointed that that according to him now these stories will never be told. Hold my beer. We heard that Kevin Feige came on board. And there are, is now I'm not sure if it's a rumor or or if it's speculation but that Kevin Feige is tasked to do something with those original scripts from George Lucas. And to not make just one movie but to make at least two. And I'm thinking when in the movie industry they are talking about two movies, there will be three movies. But what if Kevin Feige was brought on board to do the impossible, to make that strange outlandish story to to somehow turn that into a movie that is watchable and enjoyable? If there's one person that can do it, it's Kevin Feige. Look at the MCU. Look at, at how weird that story actually is. It's about gems, about these stones, magical stones, that if you put them in a glove, give you the power to erase half of the mankind. What, what kind of story is that? If you read that on paper, you're like, this is never going to fly. This is the most stupid story that we've ever heard of. And yet, it, it, it turned into this phenomenon. And, but if you look at the, just the, the basic storyline, it is ridiculous. You've got Ant-Man also. It, it, like The way they, they, they've woven his adventure in this micro space and then bringing him back and basically he's one of the people that saves the day in the end. It's so masterfully done that I'm thinking maybe Disney was like, well, they pulled it off with the MCU. Why not? Why not build a bridge to George Lucas? Uh, and, and why not also, why not try this? Maybe with a guy like Kevin Feige, we can make this work. And, and of course, it will still be very different from what George Lucas wanted to do, but, but it's still George Lucas. So why not give it a try? And it could enable them to do something that is both completely different from what they've done before, but because it's got Kevin Feige, they know it's going to be good. And they can also tell the fans, well, this is sanctioned by George Lucas. This is, this is or you can't get more original than this. How cool would that be if Kevin Feige would go into this backstory of the, the Wills and the midichlorians and somehow make it work? There where I think if George Lucas would have made those and those would have been the sequels, Star Wars would be dead. <laughs> no one, no one would care for Star Wars anymore. But I think now that they have done a different conclusion to the Skywalker story, and I'm still very hopeful that it will be an excellent conclusion, why not go back? They have these treatments anyway. They paid for it. 
and 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 try to bring in the biggest wizard that we have when it comes to storytelling, Kevin Feige, and then turn that into something that works. I don't know. I'm just curious. We are on the cutting and edge excited. of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. So as I mentioned before, on Saturday, I um, did something that I shouldn't have done. And that is to move my entire PC setup and my YouTube setup to another room. Uh, so it's now in what I call the common room, the Gryffindor common room, because it looks a little bit like a Gryffindor common room. I also put some some Harry Potter decorations in that room. It's not finished yet, but it's getting there. And that, that's a really nice background for when I'm when I'm streaming video games. Like the other day, I was uh, streaming Lord of the Rings Online. I did an attempt to stream euro trucker which was not a big success and then yesterday evening i did some uh, lego star wars lego the force awakens and i finally figured out how to do streaming of the game and then and seeing the chat at the same time it i'm not there yet because i'm using a television as a monitor it's basically because my eyes are getting worse and uh, the monitors that i had were too small so I had to constantly wear glasses, and it's very annoying. So I'm like, oh, just get a big TV and use that as a monitor so I don't have to wear glasses. Um, so, But it's it's an HD TV, so it, the resolution is still regular HD. Most of the games I play are also in HD, and I stream in HD. So it means there's no more room for, let's say, a breakout window with the chat. And the chat, for me, is essential to what I do on YouTube. Basically, everything I do is a pretext to be able to chat with my audience. So if the chat, if I can't react to what people are saying while I'm gaming, then that doesn't work. So anyway, uh, maybe the solution would be to, instead of using a, a regular HD TV, to replace it with a 4K TV. They're not that expensive anymore. So that I can then have multiple windows open and I can have the game window that would be HD and then I would have plenty of place for all the streaming software. And one of the other things that I've been uh, been working on this weekend is I want to automate more. It's a really big hassle to go live on YouTube, um, to post messages, to change cameras, etc. So a while back, I bought a small device called the Algado Stream Deck, and it's basically a USB-powered um, uh, collection of buttons that you can program. And the buttons have little icons that you can change. It's, it's a very, very cool little device. It has got great software, and you can basically program any keys like macros or macros. Uh, so every key can do s several things at once. So now I've linked it to my streaming software and with one press of a button, in theory, I can go live and I can, with one press of a button, post a Twitter message. Facebook didn't work for some reason, so there's I don't think there's Facebook integration yet. But it, it is already uh, making it much easier and uh, lowering, for me, the, the technical threshold to, to stream. And I've, I've got a feeling that um, uh, gaming is, for me, also a way to reach new audiences. I'm still doing that on YouTube right now. But YouTube has kind of uh, let go of the, of the gaming community when it comes to streaming. It's uh, sad, but they, they, they had their own gaming platform, like a sub 
platform from just like they had the platform for kids or they still have that they gave up on that and uh, but most people now when they play video games they're not doing that on youtube they're doing it on twitch twitch.tv or there's a new service from microsoft uh what was it called again hmm, microsoft gaming platform it's on the tip of my tongue it's not hello microsoft gaming platform mm, it's not stadia azure oh well streaming now i want to know now this streaming games what oh it's hard to find i thought it was called hello or something like that but anyway they took over one of the major uh streaming guys uh, that went from their it's, it's kind of the standard streaming platform on the Xbox One as well so anyway it doesn't matter so I'm considering maybe moving the gaming streaming to Twitch or to that Microsoft service I can't understand that I ugh. well I'm not going to find it forget about it ugh. I get so hung up on things like this um, so uh, the, the but um, having a little device like that helps. I've also tried to improve the lighting. So I watched a tutorial about how to get better lighting for when I'm streaming. That's also important for, for this show because I'm always streaming this live. Um, and I basically have no lighting here in, in this room. It's just ceiling LED lights, very cheap LED lighting, and it doesn't look very good. So I, I also want to figure figure that out here, how I can create a just a better look, overall look of the streaming, because that's kind of the it's a necessity. Every everyone has great looking streams. I don't want to uh, stay stay behind, and uh, but it's all a matter of focus. So now I've finally had some time to to uh, organize that. So if you want to check out my uh, my streams, either the Lego streams or the gaming streams, make sure you are subscribed to to my YouTube channel, which is Father Roderick. I think on Twitch, I'm still Pixel Priest, and I may have to change that into Father Roderick as well, just to kind of make that a general handle that you can search for anywhere. Uh, having multiple brands is not a good idea. Just like I had in the past, I had Geek Priest and Media Priest and Father Roderick, and it just became this mess. I think it should just be Father Roderick everywhere. So, But um, I'll look into that, and I'll keep you posted, of course. That's it for this episode of uh, my show. I thought I was going to do a shorter show, but it's still an hour that you'll never get back. I apologize. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to my patrons for supporting me. If you want to join them, check out patreon.com slash Father Roderick. And uh, I will see you next week. Take care. And may the force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>